Incoming transmission. Radio Rebellion. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. How are you guys doing? We're back. We took the week off last week. It was my wedding anniversary, so I think it was deserved. I couldn't couldn't do an episode that day. So we're back. We're going to be talking Rebels, Star Wars Rebels. So it's going to be a fun show. We have a great guest coming on tonight to talk about this great Star Wars animated series. And just a quick update. I'll be off again next week. It's my wife's birthday, birthday, so taking the week off but after that we're going it's gonna be it's gonna be a couple of fun weeks starting with today great topic great guest and we come back we have some great guests lined up and a few more things and before we start thank you thank you to everyone for getting us to 100 subscribers here on youtube we made it it's all thanks to you guys on twitter everywhere that just spread the voice and let us get to this milestone and I promise, I told you guys that once we get to 100 subscribers, we're going to do a special episode. So we'll either do a live watch along of a Star Wars movie or a TV episode or, or, or an arc. And if not, then I'll do a recorded commentary. So keep your eyes on Twitter. I'm going to be sending a few messages soon to start setting this up. And that's going to be a YouTube only special. It's not going to go on the podcast most likely, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so yeah, had a little bit of an audio malfunction just right before the show, but it doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure you guys can hear me just fine. Our guest is fine, so we're all fine. Like Hand used to say, it's fine, it's fine. All right, so as always, if you're watching this live, make sure that you hit that like button. If you're watching it later on the replay also, just hit that thumbs up. We like seeing that you guys appreciate what we're doing. Leave a comment down below what you think about this episode. Uh, Rebels, what are some of your favorite Rebel episodes, characters, moments? Just let us know on the comments and subscribe. We're at a little bit over 100 subscribers, but we'll keep going. This, this show is for you guys, so just subscribe. And if you're watching this a little bit later on the audio podcast when it drops on Monday, just make sure to also subscribe to that and to leave us a rate and a review. We like to see those and always read them. So thank you, guys. So with that said, we got a great show today. So we're done. We're done talking. Let's bring our guest in. You know him from a larger view of the force, Devor. Devor, how you doing? Hello. Uh, I am doing well. Thank you for having me on to talk about the best Star Wars television show, Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, and I think I'm right there with you. I know there's a Mandalorian, I know, but still mm -hmm. it's, too, it's too early. It's only been two seasons. Let's yeah. see how it goes. Clone Wars is the staple. That's the one that started all, but I'm right there with you. At least right now, for me, Rebels is up there in all of Star Wars. And TV series at the moment, I think Rebels takes it, takes that little, yep. Yep. little title for me. 
Um, so again, thanks for being here. Like I mentioned, right before we started, when I posted on Twitter, I was doing a Rebels rewatch. I wanted to talk about it on the show. I'm pretty sure you were the first one to do me, me, me. I'll be there. I'll talk to you. So. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we get into Rebels and everything, you're known on Twitter and also on your podcast for doing deep dives on a lot of comments in Star Wars on your own po podcast, A Larger View of the Force. So let's start right there for people that might not be too familiar with your podcast. Can you give us a little bit of background first, where the name came from, why you decided to do a Star Wars podcast and one ca what can our fans expect from it? Yeah, sure. So um, it's interesting you asked about the name. So I, when I was thinking about doing the show and I was like, you know, still when I was still kind of in the daydreaming phase, like, like the name A Larger View of the Force somehow popped into my head. And um, I'm not sure there was ever like an alternate name. Like, I don't think there was anything else in consideration. I think it was just A Larger View of the Force. And I went with that. And the way that I like to describe it is that a larger view of the force is both the name of the show and then also kind of its mission statement in the sense that the goal of the, of the show is to do, as you kind of mentioned, to do kind of deep dives and like close analysis of various Star Wars topics. So like whether it's like I've done my own Rebels episode, so like deep diving Rebels or whether it's particular characters or like I did a deep dive on Mando season two or certain aspects of Star Wars. So like I did an episode about like um, the philosophy of the Jedi and looked at like some of their teachings. Um, and so I like to, in any kind of those topics like that, um, looking at like themes or major ideas from Star Wars. And with that, kind of trying to bring in like different thinkers and writers, I will pull things from like history, I'll pull things from philosophy and such, and kind of show the uh, the connections, the kind of overlap between things in the real world and then things in the Star Wars universe. Cool. Was that always the goal or were you, because you know, there's thousands and thousands of Star Wars podcasts and it's hard to break in with something different or unique. Was that always the goal or did you have different, different ways that you saw the podcast going? Yeah, that was sort of the goal. I mean, like, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, like, the podcast is a window just, like, into, into how my brain works. It's just, like, my brain working, but in Star Wars. Sure, and if, like, sure. you took my brain in other things, it would work the same way. And so, like, when I, when I started thinking about wanting to do a podcast, like, a big part of what I was thinking about was just as you were saying, like I was mindful of the fact that like, there were a lot of people doing this. There were a lot of people doing this very well. And so I had to think about seriously about like, if I want to enter this space, what is the thing I can do that's going to be different to the best extent possible? Like that's going to be something unique. And I thought like, well, doing these kind of like deep dives and analyses and like close reads of different characters and moments and themes and such was going to be the best way for me to find my niche. Um, and it is working so far, I think. Cool. Uh, so you're still pretty new. I mean, mm -hmm. myself also, I've been doing this for a little bit over a year, but have you learned anything from those first few episodes or as you have been going now, 
you that now ah, I wish I knew that when I started because I know the first few episodes are like eh, okay, but I think <laughs> I'm think about that. yeah, the first few episodes. Um, I'm trying to think like. I guess probably the big thing is like, I mean, something very simple, like audio quality matters a lot, like invest in a mic in like a legitimate mic. Um, that really does make a difference when I look at like the difference between the episodes that I recorded, like with the first mic that I use versus like the one I have now. And it's like, it's like night and day difference. So it's not really, it doesn't mean like those early ones aren't like listenable, but like there is a real like difference there in terms of like, just the like quality and clearness. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's things like that, like taking the time to like make sure the audio is good, make sure that like, you're putting the time into editing and making sure that everything sounds the way it, it should. So yeah, it's like, it's those sorts of things that I like, it's something that I particularly learned while doing this about like really trying to emphasize like the quality of each episode. All right, so we're talking Star Wars and questions that we ask all our, all of our guests. So you don't just like Star Wars because if you get to that point that you're doing a, either weekly or bi-weekly or whatever, you're doing a podcast or a show about Star Wars is because you're really invested in it. So what's your Star Wars story that led you to being so invested on in it that you have to talk about it constantly to yeah. anyone out there that might be, might want to listen to it? Yeah. So my first exposure to Star Wars was in, I don't remember exactly what it probably would have been like 98, I think. I did not see the special editions in theaters. I like just missed that. But I distinctly remember the first time I watched Star Wars. It was it was eight o'clock in the evening. Uh-huh. Detail. And um, my parents and I, we'd been... We'd had like the child of a family friend over and they were just like, we were just like babysitting her or something like that. And they'd come up, come over to like pick her up. It was like right at eight o'clock and I was like sitting on to watch Star Wars and it was a new hope. And it was on TBS back when it, back in the olden days when it was TBS Superstation. Yes. <laughs> and I have like the distinct memory. It's like my first Star Wars memory of Darth Vader coming onto the Tanta four like after the shootout. Yeah. And yeah, that's just like ingrained with me as my very first Star Wars memory. And then like a year-ish after that was Phantom Menace. And I remember just like, I just have such fond memories of like the build up to the Phantom Menace and all the promos and all the, like all the tie-ins, all the toys, all of that. And so I was at like, cause I would have been like, when Phantom Menace came out, I would have been like, Seven when the Phantom Menace came out, so I was like the target demo for that movie. Perfect. Um, so I remember that's for making me feel old because I was nineteen, <laughs> almost nineteen when that movie came out. But that's fine. I'm sorry. Oh wait, there's a kick you out button here. Yes. Um, but yeah, I was just like target demo, and I remember I saw that like a bunch of times, like ten or eleven times, I saw Phantom Menace in theaters. Wow. Um, I think so, and so. Yeah, I, like I saw the prequels in in theaters, and then like after Revenge of the Sith, I didn't really keep up with kind of new Star Wars stuff. Like I didn't watch Clone Wars, I didn't see the movie or the TV show. Um, I was never like a big like Legends person or like the old EU, so I never got into like those books and the comics and stuff. Um, so. Like I still remained a Star Wars fan, but it was so, so it was sort of casual. It's just like kind of going back to like the six movies. Sure. And then 
the big catalyst ended up being with like the Disney acquisition and the sequel trilogy. Like once like Force Awakens came, like Star Wars was back um, in that way. Um, I kind of got back into it. I started in terms of like the road that led me to doing the show and to being here. Um, I started listening to Star Wars podcasts. It came to them late. I think it would have been um, maybe 2019, something like that. Um, uh, 2018, thereabout, that I started listening to Star Wars podcasts. And then that kind of got into a kind of gradual process of both. First, like finding new shows, then starting to get more engaged on Twitter, like finding creators there and engaging with them there. Um, and then that started getting me to the point of like starting to think about doing a show. And it was like, it was more like this, like, oh, haha, like what am I doing this? And then, but then it got to the point where like, well, what, what if I did? Yeah, I know. Like what, like, what would it be? What would it call? What would I do? And then that eventually got to the point where last August I launched a larger beautiful. Cool. And it's been going great. You have some great guests, great topics, like you mentioned. All right. So let's say, as we continue, on first, so I'm going to, you have a door hanger bag. Is that Darth Vader on that yes. hanger? I have that same one at my work <laughs> office. Every time I work, come out and close a door, I'm out <laughs> conquering the galaxy or something like that. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. So let me, let's say hi to some of our guests in the chat as we start talking about Rebels. So first off, Luke from Hoth of the Press. Pew, pew. Back to you, Luke. And of course, our friends, Salacious Rome. Hello, Alberto from the Salacious Rome and the Kawakia Monkey Lizard Army. And our friend, Cat Vader Girl 28 is here. So thank you guys for being here. All right. So, like I mentioned before, right before we started, we have a lot of great questions today. So, we're going to start talking about Rebels. Might skip a little bit of it so we can get to our questions, but we'll try to do this season by season. But as you guys know, when we go back, I mean, first, let me start. I know I'm ready. If you guys are ready, let's talk Star Wars. And today we're doing our segment, Star Wars Rewind. All right, and we are talking Star Wars Rebels and the Ghost Crew. Look at those guys. Poor Chopper, always, always, <laughs> always up there doing stuff. All right, so I'll start with my kind of my history with Rebels because when Rebel, Rebels came out back in, I don't know, 2014, more or less, 15, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. That's not the, what I'm trying to get at. So I believe it came on on Disney XD, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't have it. I didn't have cable at the moment. I had two kids, so no time to watch a lot of TV, so I didn't have it. But I wanted to watch Rebels, of course. It's Star Wars. You got to watch it. So the first few seasons, I think the first two seasons, I just found it online somewhere. I'm not going to talk too much about it so people don't come knocking on my door and me pirating TV, Star Wars TV. But I watched the first two seasons that way. And then by the third season, I had I had cable or something, sling or something like that. And I was able to watch the episodes as they were coming, coming on. Love the season, the seasons and the whole show. But I'll say that first watch, I was in the, I don't want to say minority, but some of the people said, were saying, oh, there's a couple of filler episodes. I didn't like the Purgles. I didn't like AP5 singing in, in the closing space. And I didn't like Chopper that much. <sighs> I know, I know. I wasn't the most popular guy out there every time people mention Rebels. But then the last two seasons, especially season three, 
off the charts. Mm -hmm. Kenobi, Maul, we'll get into all that, Thrawn, um, Kanan, all, it was awesome. But there were some things about it that I was still kind of, ah, eh, I don't know. Last year, around October or November, I decided, okay, let me do a full rewatch. For me, at least, it's easier to do a rewatch of Rebels. It's only four seasons than Clone Wars. You got hundreds of episodes. In yeah, Clone yeah. Wars, it's a little bit difficult. So I started watching Rebels. I think I watched the first two or three episodes, and then my daughter got hooked up. She's 10, and she started watching it with me, and it was our thing. So it took me like three months to finish it just because we watched it together. So just by that, I have that connection with it now that I didn't have before. So it elevated my enjoyment of it. And knowing the whole story, all those episodes that were filler or Chopper that I didn't like, and even AP5, it's there for a reason. So I started getting hooked in. I got into Chopper. I'll say it, AP5, I, I'm a fan. Not too much of the singing, but it was a cool episode. And then he's there for about three more. I only remember that first episode or just that of him floating in space. I forgot that he's like on three or four episodes. So I really got hooked into it. And the progression of Kanan as a character really impacted me. And he became one of my favorite Jedi during this rewatch. I like Ezra a lot more than I did before. I see the dark savior and everything that Sabine went through it. I didn't like that episode the first time because just by the end of it. But again, it's going with a different mentality. And now I know a lot of people, that's their, their favorite one. So it took me a little bit to get, in, get that love for Rebels that I have now. But it was knowing the whole story. I don't think that there is one episode that you can call a filler. There's some that you might have might be able to cut down or do a little bit with a few of them, making a longer arc just to extend that story. But all in all, it's a very solid um, show. The characters are extremely well developed, and it expanded Star Wars in a way that I didn't didn't connect with that first time. So for you, how did you fall into Rebels and what are your initial thoughts about it? Yeah, so in my case, I came to animated Star Wars in general pretty late. Um, I came to it in 2018. And in my case, actually the catalyst was, of all things, it was Solo. And it was the, it was the mall cameo at the end. Um, and basically like I had, Obviously, like I hadn't watched Clone Wars or anything like that, but I just kind of knew in the back of my mind that like they brought Maul back. Um, like, so, so I wasn't like shocked in the way that like other people who didn't know about the extra canon material were shocked. Um, but once that happened, I was like, I had this moment where I was like, okay, I gotta like figure out like what the deal is. Like, what's the whole story? And so then, like, that basically. But spring into summer, I went through Clone Wars first and then um, watched Rebels. And this was at the time Clone Wars was still on Netflix at the time. Okay. So I watched it that way. And then basically for Rebels, I got the DVDs and watched them that way because Rebels wasn't anywhere. Uh, at least it wasn't on Netflix. It wasn't any like streaming service at the time. Yeah. Um, and like, I connect like like Rebels became my favorite like instantly. Like I had I just felt like this immediate connection to the show and to the characters. And I'm trying to think like think back to like what it was exactly. Like I think part of it is like all star like all Star Wars TV shows have this quality where like they're about more than the thing about which they're like 
ostensibly advertised. So like to take the most recent example, they're like the Mandalorian. Like we got the Mandalorian and the way it was told to us was, oh, like lone gunslinger, space Western, all of that. And then we start watching it and then it becomes this like meditation on single fatherhood. And it's about like this people and this culture and them deciding like, what does it mean to be a Mandalorian? Who's in, who's out? Like it's all of this like much deeper stuff than like what we thought it was going to be. Um, and, you know, looking ahead, I, I have to think like Bad Batch is going to be the same way. Like, like right now we're looking at it and like we're thinking like Bad Batch is about these like this group of special clones. And I feel like by the time it's done, we're going to be like, that's not what Bad Batch is about. Yeah. And I um, hope yes, I have my yeah. reservations about Bad Batch, but I think you're true. Because when some people start saying, well, it's actually the transition from the Republic to the Empire, clones are no longer needed and all that transition, they're already on the outside of the clones, but now they have to... So it's gonna be a lot different than we think. I think you're yeah. right. And yeah, I guess Rebels. Yeah, Rebels is that the same way. Cause like Rebels is, it's ostensibly a show about this group of, I didn't know like you call them at least in season one, like do-gooders, freedom fighters, like exactly who then kind of become part of this emergent rebellion. But then as you watch the show, it's like, it's about so much more than that. It's about, the Jedi and the force and about like the aftermath of order 66. It's about, it's the show about like the empire and the way that it operates. It's about like this family that gets formed on this ship and like all of their journeys and how they got there and all of the like baggage and trauma that they bring with them. Um, so there's like, there's all that, it's like the iceberg, like the 90%, 10% thing. Like there's all that 90% below it that just makes it such a, such a rich and like complex and interesting show to watch and to talk about. Yeah, and it's, it is. And going back real quick to Mandalorian, I think it took like 25 minutes for that initial shock of Mandalorian. Yeah, it's this gunslinger doing ransoms and getting bounties and stuff. And then, hey, no. Sorry, yeah, yeah. with you, it's all this all this stuff. And it just goes through season one and two. And now season three, if it's reclaiming Mandalore. And again, what it what it means to be a true Mandalorian has changed so much from season one, season two, and then season three. We'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. We'll do another episode about that when it comes. So let's go ahead. Let's dive into this. So season one, and I'll start if you don't mind. Like I mentioned, mm-hmm. the first time I, I watched it, it was the uh, first few episodes are kind of a bit of a drag. This Ezra character, I don't know. Dude, just get out of here. Give me the rebels. I like this Kanan dude. But watching it again, it's no, it's perfect. So mm-hmm. it's a two episode um, premiere, I guess. I think there were two episodes that started the show. Yeah. And just the whole season, the, when I watched it again, it's an extremely solid start to the season, to the series. I didn't find anything that I would call a filler. And I know that word gets thrown around a lot. But knowing the whole story, Every episode has a there's a reason for every episode. Um, I love, and these are just my general thoughts about the season. The Grand Inquisitor is something that we didn't know what Inquisitors were. They were introduced in this show, and now they're everywhere. You see them in the Darth Vader comics, in the Star Wars comic. People want them to be on the Kenobi series to bring the Inquisitors in. So something that was introduced in this animated series for younger kids has just taken over Star Wars. You see them in the video games, the design of the Grand Inquisitor, the voice, what it represents, what's so, what's so cool and new for Star Wars. And I love that there are some great emotional beats already in season one, especially when 
they go to the Jedi Temple on Lothal. It's very, and that's when I started getting, oh no, when it gets to Jedi Knights, I'm not gonna be able to hold myself together because Jaws, Kanan, and Ezra in that temple was pretty emotional. And and then it goes from there. But for you, that first season, what are some of your thoughts about it and some of the things that come to mind or that you liked from that season? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as you kind of alluded to, like, season one has this, like, negative rap. But it's a good season, folks. Like, get off season one's back. It's a, it's a great season. Um, but, I mean, in terms of, like, things that I love from season one... Um, as you mentioned, like, I love the season premiere. I think it's, like, series premiere. Um, like, I think it, it does a really good job of just, like, introducing us to all of, like, the Ghost Crew and to Ezra. Um, and it kind of sets up that, like, prototypical, like, Star Wars hero's journey with Ezra, where it's, like, where we find him, where we find, like, a lot of our, you know, our other heroes, where he's, like, he, he's kind of out for himself. He's very selfish. He's just trying to survive. Like, he has that line. Um, when he gets captured by Callus and the Imperials about how like oh like like they're not coming back for me like people don't do that so he's like, got that like out for himself mentality like you know like Han like I ain't in this for your revolution yeah um, and so like it does that um, I love th that series opener has like one of my favorite Kanan lines which is like kid I'm about to let everyone in oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. so good it's so good. Um, uh, so, like, getting to see him as a Jedi, and, um, yeah, as you mentioned, like, the introduction of the Inquisitors, I think, just adds, like, a lot to, like, the kind of longer history of Order 66, because, like, we see the, like, we see how, like, most of the Jedi get, like, wiped out, you know, into the Sith and stuff, but then we see, like, the actual, like, the kind of slower, methodical process that the Empire went through to, like, hut down, sort of, like, get, get that like Obi-Wan line from A New Hope about like Darth Vader like hunted down and destroyed the Jedi Knights. Like you're seeing how they like how they did that with this with these group of like force users. So I think like that was like like getting to meet the character of the Grand Inquisitor and getting that layer in terms to like the Empire and the dark side, I think was as you mentioned, like really, really important to like Star Wars lore in general because of like how they have become so important. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, um, like the the episode when they're on the Jedi Temple in Wolfball, like getting to see Ezra and Yoda like communicate, um, and like that like that conversation is really important because it establishes this like kind of through line for the entire show, which is about this question of like how do we fight, and how do we win? Because that's like something that the two of them talk about, and like Yoda asks them the question that he asks Luke in Empire, and he's like, why must you become Jedi? And Ezra gives the wrong answer, and then like Yoda has to kind of like prod him like, about helping people. Like, so like that's a big thing in Rebels about like why are you fighting? What's your motivation? What are you trying to accomplish? Is something that just comes over and over in the show. Uh, and then also just like the the season finale, I think mm -hmm. is really, really great. I think that duel between Kane and the Grand Inquisitor is underrated. Like I love that exchange between them when he's like. Uh, when he takes out Ezra, I was like, that was a mistake. Like, why? Because you have no one left to die for you. No, because I have nothing left to fear. Yeah. So good. That is a great so plan. Yeah, it shows um, also how much Kanan changes in just those first few episodes. Because the first season is pretty short compared to the other ones. Like maybe 12 to 13 episodes. Others are 22, at least. I think season two and three are pretty long. But you see that 
difference in Kena just growing as a Jedi. And it, that starts a little bit from the episode in the Jedi Temple. Just his growth as a as a Jedi, knowing how much Ezra means to him, becoming part of the Ghost Crew. We all talk about Star Wars in general, but this show is probably the best example of that fun family that we all love in Star Wars and how they start to become a family, like you said from the beginning when Ezra, yeah, no one comes back for me. No, these these people that you just met are here for you because they they see that you have a better future out there that you can help and be a better person. And we also get some great reveals at the end. We have Darth Vader reveal, which is my favorite one because unexpected. Mm -hmm. I didn't think, yeah, Vader, he's off there doing something else. And then he here he comes coming down that ramp. So it was extremely a great reveal that I didn't expect. And I believe here also in season one is when we get Ahsoka revealed mm -hmm. as Fulcrum, which okay. is, like, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was there anything, either one of those two, if you want to talk a little bit about them or any a favorite moment that you have from season one? Um, yeah, I mean, I loved both of those because, like, Darth Vader is, as you noted from my little door sign, Darth Vader is my favorite character in Star Wars. So, like, like give me all the Darth Vader. Um, He's back here. He's somewhere back. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, that was really, really great. And getting to see Ahsoka because, like, I had I, I'd gone through Clone Wars already, so I'd had that, like, attachment to Ahsoka. So, getting her as revealed as Fulcrum was like, I did not see that coming at all. Um, so. Like that was really, really cool um, getting her in there. But I mean, in terms of favorite moments, like um, I think as I mentioned, yeah, that, that last duel there um, at the end is like definitely up there um, between Kanan and Grand Inquisitor. And as you mentioned, like Kanan's journey throughout that season, because we see him like, like when we meet him at first, like he's still dealing with a lot of the like guilt about Order 66 and leaving Depa behind. Like we see how the Grand Inquisitor kind of taunts him over that. Yeah. He's unsure about whether he can be a master. <laughs> he tries to dump Ezra on Luminaro and Dooley until that falls through. Um, but then when you get to him at the end of season one, like he's in that position where he's kind of overcome that, a lot of that like fear and guilt and uncertainty within himself. And he's like really ready to kind of embrace his role as both a Jedi and also as a, as a master. Yeah, I mean, it's like I mentioned, Kanan, especially in the second rewatch or my first rewatch after the first time, has elevated himself in the ranking, my Jedi ranking. It's just a great character, a great, um, his journey. And you can see just a great journey in season one, but then as the, the seasons go, he just keeps getting better and better to where, yeah. unfortunately he, has to sacrifice himself for the greater good. So yeah, that season finale was great. My favorite episode of season one has to be Path of the Jedi, just going to that Jedi temple on Lothal, seeing what him and Ezra went through, just, mm -hmm. just too much. And then when we they go back with Ahsoka, it's, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. That's, oh my. Um, so then we jump to season two, and season two then just takes it to another level. We have Ahsoka coming back in and out. We get more... Callus, more inquisitors, and I'll mention some. I had a bunch of notes and trying to pick and choose, but we see here that Ghost Crew starting to join the rebellion a little bit more. They're not just this band of five or six just trying to do good in on Lothal. They're seeing that there's a bigger rebellion now. They're fighting for the same thing that they're fighting, but on a bigger scale. But like you just said, Kanan still hasn't 
it's not past what happened during the the republic the war with the the separatists and the republic he hasn't it's not over that so he's not sure about joining another war he knows what that can happen i mean what that brings to people so he's not too sure so we have those conversations between him and hera that are great are we fighting for just for a little bit or are we just doing for the greater good of the galaxy um i forgot how good rex is in season two captain rex is my favorite clone from the clone wars and i just forgot how good he was in rebels i just mm -hmm. love his banter with kanan of course and with chopper with the way he gets in with um with seb is awesome then we get the seventh sister and the fifth brother i love again i just mentioned i love the design of the grand inquisitor but i think for me they just knocked it out of the park with seven sister her design yeah. is extremely awesome we have the great spider droids that she have mm -hmm. i'm talking about great lightsaber fights and great reveals like kanan does in season one he will have ahsoka revealing herself to the inquisitors which yeah again no she's dead whatever with oh the apprentice is here and then mm -hmm. when it's both of them kicks their butt and then she does the same darth vader line you are beaten when mm -hmm. she knocks her down so i got a few more things but season two in general if you remember season by season what stands out um yeah so a couple things um i think once again i think the season opener stands out to me um i particularly like the um even though it doesn't last very long like the fight between uh, Kanan as our invader, I think is great. It gives us that great moment where they like bring down the like the like the walkers on top of Vader. And he just like lifts them off and, and like Ezra has that moment like who what the hell is this guy? Like you never seen anyone like him. Um, so I like that moment. Um, getting to see, getting to see that. Um, like you mentioned the introduction of Rex. Like I love that episode um, when when they go and they bring him back and like Kanan has to confront some of that. Um, so, so some of that uh, lingering, you know, trauma that he dealt with, Order sixty six, and mistrusting the clones. And I talked about this on my own. I was like, there, there's that great Rex line that like now makes no sense of Clone Wars, where he talks about like I didn't betray my Jedi. And it's like, like we all saw season seven, like a little bit, a little bit from a certain point of view. Yeah, you fought it for a little bit, but I saw you laughing a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like I like bringing Rex back in. I really, as you mentioned, like I really love Rebels Rex. Like he might, that might be my favorite Rex. Like I don't know if like if I had to pick between one of the two, like, like Rebels Rex has a lot going for him. Um, um, another highlight is um, the episode Wings of the Master, where we get to see um, the B Wing and we get to see Hera piloting that like it's great like that's my favorite hair episode like i love seeing her kind of inner element and let's just establish for the record for everyone watching hera syndulla best pilot in the galaxy like, none of this Han solo business no 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 all right i will i don't know i've i've tried i've thought about it i don't know who to give it to yet because i love hera i mean she's the only one that was able to fly the prototype b-wing i also saw her taking a lot of shots in the ghost i yeah. think that ghost needs a little bit more recognition but hera's pretty good and we'll, we'll have to do a separate episode on the <laughs> starfighter pilots but i won't i won't fight too much against it i think she's at least top three if not and i'm sure someone is going to start yelling soon about how it <laughs> i mean you already did but um 
And this is where Star Wars, which I love, when it gets weird, and it's a great quote on season three that I want to go into. But here we get the Purgles, which are the, the space whales, as mm -hmm. everyone knows, going down and just sucking some gas. We don't know what the hell it is. And then we learn that, no, they can travel through hyperspace. So what are your thoughts on Purgles? I like them. It took me a little bit. They're still weird, but I can get behind the Purgles because I love all the weirdness in Star Wars. But when you saw Purgles the first time, were you shocked by it or were you, yes, I'm all in? Yeah, I was kind of all in. Like, I, like I'm like you. I love the weird Star Wars stuff. Like, we will get to, when we get to season three, we'll talk about like my favorite like weird Star Wars thing that that is in Rebels. Um, but yeah, I like. I thought it was really cool. And then like seeing these creatures that can travel through hyperspace, um, basically organically, like not through you know machines or anything like that. I thought that was like really really cool. And yeah, it's just like I love. I love when Star Wars does that. Whenever it like pushes our understanding of like just when we think we know how like the galaxy works and what yeah. the rules are like it'll just like it'll just throw us a curveball and like like hyperspace traveling whales deal with that yes <laughs> you, you gotta absorb that now <laughs> yeah it's also, and like you mentioned you saw solo and then that took you to clone wars and rebels and you see it's not it is similar because you have that creature in the Kesseron, the summa verminoth this mm -hmm. weird tentacle creature living next to a black hole basically so if we have that, and I enjoy it, I love that part, I love that creature, Purgles deserve to win Star Wars. So if you hate Purgles, <laughs> check yourself. you you got a problem. Um, so I also, and this is just some of, we, not weird thing, real life things in Star Wars. I mean, real life situation that make their way to Star Wars when Kanan meets Cham Syndulla for the first <laughs> time. He's just so awkward around him, trying to impress his girlfriend's dad. I just, I just love that whole interaction because I've been there. A lot it's of us wonderful. It really is. Yeah, when he like, he's like, he's telling Ezra like, straighten up, like, <laughs> make me look good, and like he gets the names of all the different people wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's one of those things that yeah, we can get all deep in Star Wars, but it's it's also good to know that it's funny. It can be weird with the Purgles. It can be yeah. weird and funny with trying to meet your future in-laws. So I, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Um, okay, so I mentioned at the beginning how I didn't like AP5, and this season two is when we get AP5, and I'll say it, when I was, okay, this is the episode, AP5 is coming, I'm ready to hate him again, mm -hmm. I can't, I love the guy. He's delightful. I love AP5, I love his voice, I love his banter with Chopper, oh, what I just love AP5 a lot, so I'm sorry to all the AP5 stands out there, it took me like two years to get behind the guy, but yeah, AP5 is good. And he sacrifices himself, even though they rescued him later. But yeah. he was really, just leave me here with the with the butterflies, just <laughs> in space. This is my life now. No, you're rescuing me. Why? Just let me go. Poor, poor AP5. Poor AP5. Yeah. Uh, and then we get the return of Maul in mm -hmm. Twilight the Apprentice, which is one of the best Star Wars out there. I'm not going to say episode yes. of Rebels, one of the best Star Wars out there. Mm -hmm. So take me through it, your, what you remember seeing Twilight the Apprentice in the confrontation, finally Vader, Ahsoka, the fight and the ending, we all thought Ahsoka was dead. Wait, was that a little shadow going down the yeah. those sta stairs? So Twilight the Apprentice, what? Yes, it is just like, as you say, like it, it, is, it is one of the best just pieces of Star Wars content out there. It is. 
Um, it's incredibly emotional. It's even more so with like, like once we got season seven of the Clone Wars and we got to see like how that story wrapped up. Like I remember, I remember rewatching Twilight of the Apprentice for the first time after season seven wrapped up. Um, and just like it hit differently. Like I remember one particular moment that hit differently was like, like th there's a moment where like Maul and Ahsoka like briefly fight one another. And then like, she goes off to go help Ezra at the top of the like Sith pyramid or whatever. And then he says like running away again, Lady Tano. And when he said that, I was like, damn, like, it hit me. I was like, oh, like just having seen season seven. Like, oh, yeah, same, same for me. Cause I rewatched this past winter with season seven have already come out. Yes, it hits completely different. That yeah. that line by Maul, just Maul in Clone Wars, like I mean in Rebels, like Luke said, he's amazing. The way they did Maul, because we know Maul from Phantom Menace, Clone Wars, but it's a different Maul here. It's more cerebral that he was. We know yeah. Maul to just be this killing machine, basically this beast, and here he's more cerebral. He plays Ezra against his feelings. Oh my. My young apprentice come here. Oh, mm -hmm. just a little, a little old mall. So I love mall. Uh, Twilight of the Apprentice, of course, favorite episode of the season. And just to mention real quick, because I love not the episode in general, even though I do like it, the score for Lyra San, not just Twilight of the Apprentice, mm -hmm. but when Seb is going to Lyra San to see his homeworld. The score that Kevin Kiner does in that scene, going through that portal, is yeah. for me his best work in Rebels. So I just wanted to put that out. There. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's a great. It's like one of those. It's 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 a little bit like. It's not quite as different as this, but it's like you know, what I mean, like it's sort of like Ludwig stuff on Mandalorian. This thing that like it sounds very un Star Wars, but it actually like, works really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just love that so much. So season three. This is. Mm -hmm. If you had an issue, which you shouldn't, with season one and two, season three is when it goes off the chain, especially for me. Okay, let me say hi to a new person here. Apprentice Ewok, how are you doing? Thanks for being here today. He's saying Molin Rebels and in seven season of Clone Wars is the best. I agree, I agree. Season, oh man, Shattered. That Shattered episode is too much. Mm -hmm. Luke is saying, really like when Maul finds the holocron and his focus shifts to Obi-Wan again. He always, he's always Obi-Wan for Maul. Yeah. And then Ezra, Ninja reaction to bringing Obi-Wan into the fight. Poor Obi-Wan, he just wants to be in the desert, <laughs> looking at this little kid, just growing up. And here, Ezra brings Maul, but it leads to my favorite episode in the whole series, and one of my favorite Kenobi epi um, moments. So we'll get to that soon, because it's in season three. Yeah. But season three starts, it just goes off with that premiere. We have Evil Ezra knocking uh, troopers, knocking walkers out the gangway. Just I don't know how many people died, but Ezra mm -hmm. doesn't care. We have the Bendu, which might be some, I don't know. I think that's where you're going with. Yeah, Bendu. I'll let you talk about Bendu in a minute. Uh, we have Throne coming, come in. We have Governor Price. And all this is in that first episode in that first season premiere we have Bendu, Thrawn, and Price just in the premiere, which is what? Just in one yeah. episode we get all this. Um so let's go off. Go ahead. So Bendu, what what do you say about the Bendu? Which I love. I love his voice. I love what he represents. I love when he's like Kenan Jaros, Jedi Knights. Nice. I love yeah. everything the way he ah so Ben okay so you were saying a few minutes ago that season three has one of your weird, your favorite weird characters in Star Wars. Who is? Yeah, it? yeah, it would be 
the I almost said the man, the myth, the legend, but I don't know if he's a man. I don't know what he was. <laughs> the entity, the myth, the legend, the Bendu. Yeah, I mean, the, the things that I like about him, one is like, I, I love weird force stuff in Star Wars. So like Mortis, like the force priestesses um, in season six of Clone Wars whatever's happening on Exegol and Rise of Skywalker, like just anything when it gets like when, when when the force gets weird like that and we get like these entities and these powers, I think I'm, I'm always drawn to that. And then in terms of the Bendu, like he's such an interesting figure because one, just in terms of the way that he like intersects with the characters, like you were you were just talking about the season three opener. Like I love everything like between Kanan and Bendu in that opener when he's like helping Kanan to learn how to see using the force like that i think is fascinating and just also like what he represents in terms of like our understanding of the force because like obviously like one of the big things that you know gets talked about so much in star wars fandom is like what does balance mean yeah like you know like the light and the dark and the nature and then to meet this entity that says that he represents the middle of the force i am the one in the middle um it's just such an interesting of our like it just really expands our understanding. Of, like, what is the force? Like, what does it mean to be in the middle of the force? Mm -hmm. um, and then just like hit, like the way that he tries to, you know, as we get to the to the end, the way he kind of tries to stay out of the conflict, tries to maintain this balance and neutrality, and then Kane and kind of <laughs> insults him basically like into action. Um, so yeah, I think he's just like in terms of like how we think about the force and how do we think about light and the dark and balance between them i think he just he raises a lot of questions in that regard yeah so similar so bendu is one of those weird things in star wars that if you don't like weird i'm sorry star wars isn't for you at least that's end. star wars you know we all have different reasons for liking and loving star wars but just that weirdness is something that we both really enjoy and bendu is that like you mentioned there's always that question about balance, light, dark side, are, are people great Jedi? I know what the Bendu came out, people, oh, that's great, that's a great, it's different. The Bendu's the one in the middle, he does what he needs to do, he shows up when he needs to. But it's how he helps Kanan be, come to be the Jedi that he needs to be to help Ezra, to help his own journey, and then to help the Ghost Crew and the Rebellion. So yeah, the Bendu's a great addition to Star Wars, that I'm sad that they, he got killed at the end of the series. I wish we could get a little bit more with him just to learn more from what what does it mean to be in the middle? Because he's not mm -hmm. a guy, he's not a Sith. He knows the Force, basically. I know he's like Mascanara. I know the Force. I'm not yeah. a Jedi, but I know the Force. So I would love to learn more about all that. Also, by season three, I'm starting to love um, Seb a lot more. When I, watched, when I watched it the first time, Seb was, okay, yeah, that's Seb. Season two, I really started enjoying Seb as a character, but season three becomes one of my favorite from the Ghost Crew. And I think he doesn't get talked to talk about too much, but I really like Seb. But the big one, of course, is Grand Admiral Thrawn. This is the first mm -hmm. canon appearance of Thrawn. Um, a lot of people know him from the expanded universe, like you mentioned at the beginning, that you didn't get too much into that. Me neither. I didn't read anything mm -hmm. about the EU. I know he, I knew who Thrawn was. I knew there is this blue alien that came into yeah. empire and was very smart and uh, he used the art to know his enemies mm -hmm. but then he gets introduced into rebels and it's this great new adversary for the ghost crew always five steps ahead ah, just let him go i know what they're doing mm -hmm. I'm totally my enemy 
It's a great addition to it. Then we have also Kalos introduced as Fulcrum, helping yep. the, the crew because he had, we didn't get to talk about in season two, that great episode with Seb that they have to work together, mm -hmm. kind of like that old movie, Enemy Mine, the two people working together just to survive. And you can see by the end of that episode, everyone so grateful that Seb survived. And when they find Kalos, they're like, yeah, I don't, yeah, you're alive. Okay, get back to work. And then he starts kind of questioning everything with the Empire. So by season three, it's like, yeah, screw this. I got to, that should be a better way. He's introduced as Fulcrum. Then, of course, we still have Maul, Darksaber. They go to Dathomir. And mm -hmm. before we get to the Twin Sons episode with Kenobi, with Obi-Wan Kenobi, we also have Trials of the Darksaber, which is one of the people's most favorite episodes mm -hmm. of Rebels. I don't know, it might be yours because you're nothing. Uh, so I, did, I, I did a whole episode on Trials of the Dark Saber with, right, uh, with Rick Dowell. It's an hour and 50 minutes you can hear us talking about Trials of the Dark Saber. And I'm sure you had to cut it down because there's <laughs> a lot about that that episode. I think two of that we can go into. And like I mentioned, the first time that I watched Trials of the Dark Saber, my biggest issue with it was seeing Sabine defeat, defeat Kanan because... At that point, like, he's a Jedi. There's no way that someone has never held a lightsaber. It's going to beat Kanan. But then someone else said, no, no, no. It's You got to look again. It's not just that. So there's a lot more into it, Just And I'll let you explain a little bit more. The way Kanan is trying to teach her, it's not the same as Ezra. She, he doesn't view them the same way, treats them differently. The overprotective dad that Kanan was, and then bringing, you need that second father figure, I mean, parental figure in Hera to come talk to Kanan. You're treating her with kid's glove that doesn't yeah. work for her. So, again, Kanan might, I mean, Hera might not be the, my top pilot out there, but <laughs> when it comes to those deep conversations, it's right up there. Um, and then seeing it from that point of view, the second time, it, Open up a lot of different things and made it a very special episode. So not an hour and 50 minutes, but if you can explain a little bit about Trials of the Dark Saber, what it means to you, and yeah. what's one of those great episodes of Rebels. Uh, so first off, I'll show um, I am I'm, I'm repping her right here. <laughs> yeah, she is yeah. she is my favorite rebel. So like there's that. So so yeah. that Sabine centered episode naturally just makes it like a great episode. Um, but I think like the big thing that I enjoy about Trials of the Dark Saber and why I think it's just such a great episode is because it is one of those classic like Star Wars training moments, I guess, um, where we get to see like someone, in this case Sabine, like come up with this, like confront this challenge, this difficulty of mastering this weapon. And not only just like mastering the weapon from a kind of technical perspective, but then also having to inherit all of the meaning and legacy that comes behind it like the fact that like it symbolizes like whoever holds it is the kind of legitimate ruler of mandalore so like it's this it's this totem for her people and her trying to like step up to be to try and like get into that kind of leadership position for her people and so like what we see in that episode is on the one hand like her struggle to like master the forms and actually fight like we get to see that it's and this is again a kind of common theme in Star Wars, which is that like a lot of the struggle is internal. Like the reason that she's not mastering the, the Darksaber is not because like she can't do it from a kind of physical perspective, but because she has all of this baggage from like 
her family and having served the empire and then having to run away from her home and being kind of disowned by her family and such. And so she has to like get over that internal struggle. Like it's much like, um, I don't know to use an example, like, you know, like if you take like Luke in Empire Strikes Back when like Yoda lifts the X-Wing when you get that great scene and he's like, I don't believe it. That is why you fail. Like, because like the struggle is within. Um, and so that's the same with Sabine. Like once she sort of starts to come to terms with her past and like why she did what she did and how she was just trying to protect her people and her family, like once she's able to open up in that way, then she's able to really kind of master the sword and to take it up. And so, yeah, I just, I, I love anytime we get that kind of view into the internal life of a character to see their psychology and see them grappling with whatever is like going on with them mentally. And so like, that is why for me, like Charles the Dark Saber is just like one of the most important um, episodes in Rebels and then also one of the most important ones in Star Wars overall. Yeah, uh, you're, you're not alone. That's mm -hmm. one of those episodes that gets talked about. If you talk about Rebels, Charles with the Dark Saber, we we'll, it's going to come into play. And I think you, you made a great distinction saying it's not just learning the, the forms, but knowing the history of the Dark Saber, what it means to hold that, hold it, especially everything that Sabine went through when she was with the Empire and the mm -hmm. weapon that she created. And now having to be the leader just by holding this weapon, it's very impactful that if you just watch it uh, as a glance when I did that first time, it takes a little bit more. And like you mentioned at the beginning, Star Wars, yeah, it's about the rebels, but there's a lot more behind it that we weren't expecting. So yeah, it's great. And it comes to my favorite episode in Rebels and one of my favorite things ever, and it's Twin Sons. And it might just be a four minute part of a 25 minute episode. But here, for people who don't know, which I'm sure if you're watching this, you do know. So, Kate, I mean, Ezra and Maul had the holocron. Um, Ezra believes he needs to go to Tatooine to find Obi-Wan over there, because that's what the holocron says. He's the one that's going to help us. But no, Maul is tricking you using your fears and all this. And then Ezra meets Obi-Wan Kenobi in the desert of Tatooine, and then Maul shows up. And they have, I wrote it down, just, it's very sh short conversation, but it's one mm. of the most important conversation between those two characters with Maul saying, oh, look what you've become, uh, writing that, no, I mean, because I wrote it down, I don't just want to paraphrase it. Look what you have become, uh, right in the desert. And of course, Obi-Wan, by this time, he's not gonna, come on, really? You're trying to, to mm. end me on? Look what I've risen over. Look what I've risen above. And it shows why I love Kenobi so much. He sees this man, I mean, this devil incarnate basically in Darth Maul has taken everything from him. Uh, took his master, his connection, his fatherly figure in Qui-Gon Jinn, took the person that he loved in Satine. It's, they fought constantly through the Clone Wars. And now he's come to a point that he's here trying to keep an eye on, on Luke. And then Maul just at this point is not the Maul from season seven of Clone War. He's still so, no, I just got a, my vengeance on Kenobi's too. It's, it's too big. I have to deal with it. And Kenobi's like, dude, we, we've, we've been over this, okay? I'm not mm -hmm. going to fight you. I got all the things to worry about. And then Maul says something else, but then Kenobi comes and says, if you define yourself by your power to take life, a desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing which that's basically if 
the dark side is this that I just said. If that's your life, dude, you got nothing. Then Maul doesn't care. He's, oh, you're here protecting something. No, someone. And that's where Kenobi says, all right, you just blew it. Because yeah, yeah. now you're threatening, not me, because I don't care. It's this kid, the chosen yeah, one, yeah. he says at the end. And we have, and I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Another duel of the fates is coming. And it's a two-move battle, which is, I think, my second favorite lightsaber battle in all of Star Wars. Because it shows two people that really know each other, especially Kenobi knows Maul. He baited Maul with his Qui-Gon pose as soon as he saw the way Maul was going to fight. Maul rushes in as he always does and gets cut, which is a, at first glance, it's like, oh, it's done? Yes, it has to be done that way. And then he doesn't just leave him. He cradles him, comforts him. He knows that he's been a pawn all this time. And then Maul does that. Grenade. Is he the chosen one? Can we? Yes, he will avenge us. Because at that point, Maul knows that he's been a pawn of Palpatine of Sidious all this time. And can always still, he doesn't hate the guy. He still knows all, all that he went, went through. Still is there for him, you know, even at that point. And that's why Kenobi is my favorite character in Star Wars and my favorite Jedi. Everything he went through, he still is the per not perfect, but the ideal Jedi. And I just love that episode so much and that's, that scene. So, Twin Sons, what do you think about? Yeah, um, I remember when I first watched it, like... The duel itself, I remember, like, that felt, like, very, like, almost, like, anticlimactic at first. Because, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, like, you know, as you mentioned, like, it's, like, a three or four move duel. And I remember watching the first time being, like, wait, like, what just happened? Like, did I miss something? Like, did I miss, like, the death blow? Like, it, it just had, it moved so fast. Um, but then, like, having revisited it, like, it, it is one of the great duels in... Star Wars because it is like it's exactly as you sort of described it like you see just like where these two people are in terms of their own like psychology and just how far apart they are whereas like Maul is still stuck in the past like he's still looking for vengeance he's like he's steeped in that hate and anger and Obi-Wan is just like he's on another plane like he's he's, he's moved on like as you mentioned that line like look what I've risen above like he like he's moved on from the the like the pain and the suffering that Maul's inflicted on him and he approaches him with compassion and as you pointed out, right, he only moves to strike to fight once Luke gets threatened. So, like, he's not like he's not approaching from a kind of offensive. He's going pure like that Yoda line: a Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never attack. Like that's what that's what Obi Wan's doing in that moment. Um, and it's like you can you can see that growth in terms of Obi Wan because like Clone Wars Obi Wan wouldn't have done that. Phantom Menace Obi Wan wouldn't have done that. Like he wouldn't have been able to respond with compassion the way that obi-wan does at the end when he's cradling maul mm -hmm. in his dying moments and then he closes his eyes and he gives him that like he, he gives him that hope in terms of luke and like maul kind of twists it because he can only understand it as like he will avenge us like he can only understand he can only understand the promise of luke in the language of vengeance um, like he, he can't understand it any other way but he still kind of gives him that kind of hope there that like one day Palpatine will be defeated. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it, like, 
it is that bridge between the Obi-Wan that we get in Clone Wars and the prequels to the Obi-Wan that we're ultimately going to get in in the original trilogy. We get to see just like how he's grown and changed in exile. Yeah. And with the Kenobi series coming next year, I believe, mm -hmm. that in between. So hopefully we'll see that change and everything that Kenobi went in those those years after Revenge yeah. of the Sith. Yeah. And of course, that episode ends with the shadow of Luke just running to Beru and the Jedi theme in the background. Kenobi just looking. Oh, it's a great, mm -hmm. it's a great episode. Great ending. Right. Unfortunately, the last episode of the season, your your buddy the Bendu doesn't make it. No, he does not. Poor Thrawn. Mm -hmm. I mean, not poor, poor Bendu, that Thrawn guy. But he told him, "You're gonna die in a cold embrace." So I see your hand. Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by a cold embrace. Yep, I wrote it yep. down. I don't remember that well. Um, and then we move to season four. Um, we get Bo-Katan, Mori the Darksaber, everyone's favorite, Kalos. Hot Kalos is here. Hot uh, Kalos is here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tie Defenders that Throne was working on. Um, we get So Guerrero and that difference, his different way of dealing with the rebellion that we, <laughs> of course, learn in Rogue One. But here we see how he's starting just to go off in another. It's, it's a little, you know, a little problem. Yeah. Our problems. Um, since we don't have a lot of minutes and I want to get to the question, so let's go to, unless there's something else you want to talk before. So, Jedi Knights. And here we have, we'll do two, we'll do Jedi Knights and World Between Worlds, of course. So, mm -hmm. Jedi Knight ends with Kanan's sacrifice. It's he, the culmination of his whole arc. This lone Jedi that didn't want to get involved, didn't want people to know that he was a Jedi, didn't want to get back in the fight of this rebellion and what it's leading to, because I've already been through, through this, having to step in and sacrifice himself for the greater good and just save his friends, because he knows that's more important and completing the mission. So, and of course, his connection with Hera, uh, a few minutes before, or the episode before, <clears throat> he they have basically confess their love for each other that we all knew about and they knew about it they just hadn't make it official they do have that and then he his vision basically comes back so you can see Hera one last time like he said before we'll see each other again or I'll see you again mm -hmm. and then he sacrifices himself pushes them away in one of the saddest and also one of the greatest moments in Star Wars that also solidifies him and one of one of those great characters that puts himself or puts others above himself. So the end of Canaan, did you see that coming? Was it a shock? Of course, we got that great score by Kevin Kiner also about Jedi Knights in general, Warrior. Yeah, I mean, I remember like, I remember going into, particularly going into season four thinking like, well, Kane and Ezra aren't in the original trilogy, so like something's gotta happen to them. Like, like, like something's gotta happen to get Yoda to say like, "When gone, I the last of the Jedi, you will be." So I was like, well, so, so I, I don't know that I necessarily. Maybe I thought in terms of like, well, they're gonna like both die at some point, or like, but like they gotta get out of the picture somehow. Um, and like, I don't know. I don't think I saw it coming in the context of Jedi Knight, like at the end of that episode. Um, but like, you're totally right, just in terms of like, I mean, the episode does it so well in terms of executing this heel turn where you get like 
you get here and Kanan like at the field depot they have that moment of like the confession of love and then it just turns like 180 it gets into like him having to protect him and like the, the thing I like about that in terms of the culmination of his own arc is like it's him kind of stepping into his master's own shoes in terms of like sacrificing himself like the same way that Depa sacrificed for him and like like, the, the, like, there's that George Lucas line that, like, people like to, like, like make fun of him for, like, to talk about, like, the, it's, like, poetry at rhymes line. And, like, like, the thing about that line is that, like, in a lot of ways, like, life is sort of like poetry at rhymes in the sense that, like, every, like, generation of people, like, faces the same types of, like, struggles in terms of, like, who am I? What am I? Like, what am I living for? am I like what greater purpose am I serving and such and so like when you look at like, like when you look at Kanan there like he's gotten to this point like to the same point where Depa was back in the Clone Wars where he's realizing like, he has to make the sacrifice play the same that she did and then when we see the fallout of that afterwards with Ezra like Ezra is in the position that Kanan was there where he's dealing with like the grief and the guilt and like feeling like did he not do enough and then just like Kanan learned from Depa, we'll get to this in the series finale, Ezra learns from Kanan. And so there's that like that repetition there. Yeah. It's yeah, it's one of those episodes that we won't forget. Kanan's mm -hmm. sacrifice will live on forever in Star Wars. Yeah. But then yeah. world between worlds. And this I don't want to say divided the fandom because we've got enough of that on Twitter. But World Between Worlds was one of those episodes that either you loved it. Or you were what the hell just happened? Mm -hmm. And I, when I watch, and I'll, I'll let you. So you can start. So when you watch War Between Worlds, what were you all in as soon as you saw it, or were, what was your relationship with that episode? What it means or might have meant for the for anything in Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I was. I was pretty much in for it because again, like weird force, just like Benjamin, like, oh, like this, this, this like portal realm where you can pop into different like periods of time. So like just for that weird quality, I think I just like bought into it. Like I didn't have a lot of um, like questions about like, oh, is this like is this break Star Wars or what? like anything like that? Um, I mean... Like, this is probably, like, this is, like, its own episode, but, like, I don't think, for instance, like, I'm, I'm not in the camp that, like, World Between Worlds is time travel. Like, I don't yeah. think that's what it is, uh, but that's, like, a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of, like, 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 what it serves in the story in terms of giving Ezra this moment where, like, he could theoretically like go and save Kanan, go like yank him out of the moment in time just before he sacrificed himself. And then Ahsoka's there basically being like, you can't save your master anymore than I can save mine and you have to learn to let go. Like, the way that it serves as this kind of storytelling device where it's like, it, it's a way to help Ezra kind of process his own grief and the loss of Kanan, I think is really important. And that gets us to like, one of just my favorite moments in Star Wars, which is the closing of that episode, where they're like, where, where Hera and Ezra are basically where the Jedi Temple was, and it's just become yeah. this like flat plain. And they look out, and there's like a mist, and there's like the lone wolf wolf out there, and he's just like goodbye, Kanan, and like walks away. Yeah. Like, so beautiful. It's just it, it's an incredible just like moment about like letting go and kind of accepting 
that loss and then like taking that you know taking the next step which is ultimately does at the end of the season yeah so yeah, world between worlds when i watched it the first time so i really enjoyed it but i was like what what happened i still yeah. i don't understand it i don't think i still do to a hundred percent but the more i thought about it as these days went by just starting buying into it, you know yes this is a great concept what it meant because yeah it's not time travel and then mm -hmm. the more you look into it i've just read from other people everything that ezra is seeing there everything's happening at the same time so mm -hmm. it's not time travel so if you if we like you mentioned like ahsoka said if you pull kane out of this moment all of you die so yeah it, it can happen because you're here already and all these events are happening at the same time that's why he hears all the different voices of all the characters because all the events in Star Wars basically are happening at the same time while you're inside this war between worlds. So it was a very weird, something new in Star Wars, but we said it uh, 10 times already. Weird in Star Wars is good. Weird mm -hmm. force is good. And I'm good at, at least as of right now, they're not just, let's go back to the war between worlds and keep doing more things. The Jedi Temple was destroyed. That Maybe that's the only entrance or the only path to the wall between worlds was that temple over there maybe there's mm -hmm. no way to go back i would yeah. really love that so okay don't touch it it was a one-off it served its purpose in bringing ahsoka back and then it comes so why did ahsoka survive or why was she saved by ezra what's gonna be her purpose is it to push grogu to look skywalker is it something to do with her show and trying to mm -hmm. find ezra and thrawn so the purpose of ahsoka being saved through this war between worlds i'm really interested and i'm sure dave filoni has 20 reasons why he saved ahsoka in this moment yeah. not just because hey i like the character let me save her there has to be a purpose for her coming back mm -hmm. and i hope that we get to see that soon hopefully in her in her series so as we finish this before we get to our rebel thoughts and our fan questions so season finale, uh, two episode finale, the big battle over Lothal, Thrawn, Ezra, the uh, rebellion, space whales comes back, the Purgles. Um, so I'll let you talk about it and then we can go straight to a question. So season finale, series finale of Rebels. When I did a few weeks ago with our friends in a galaxy podcast, they had their live stream doing a, a bracket of their favorite mm -hmm. Star Wars Rebels episode against my wishes the season the series finale came on top as the favorite episode or the best mm. episode in Rebels I don't believe that but Me uh, <laughs> <laughs> so season finale what are your thoughts of that the series finale I should say of Star Wars Rebels yeah um I think I mean, there, there, there's a bunch of stuff that like stands out for me in that in that series finale. I mean, high among them is Ezra's confrontation with Palpatine. I think yeah. is great. Um, like, f f just first off, like the fact they got Ian McDermott back for Rebels. Like, like Star Wars fans, we we are always blessed when Ian McDermott comes back to play Palpatine. So, um, everything that happens there in terms of like him basically trying to basically pull the like Anakin bait and switch on Ezra where he's like, here are the people you love. Like you want them back. Like you just got to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And then how Ezra is ultimately able to resist him and doesn't make that like, like makes the right choice and, and destroys the portal. Um, I think that's just a powerful moment. I think um, everything in terms of like Ezra's decision to, you know, 
to you know in learning from Canaan, like like to make that sacrifice play to kind of give himself up in order to save save Lothal and and to rid Lothal of the Empire and just the like the very Ezra way that he does it in terms of bringing in these Pergo, just like yeah. it's it's just such in terms of like from storytelling, it's like it's like, like, like we could come up with that. Like it's such a weird way like have these whales show up and like grab the star destroyers and send them in, into hyperspace it's so strange but it's so um it, it, it's so unique and clever um so getting that and then just in terms of getting to see how like th that epilogue moment where we get to see where all of the different ghost crew members end up going and their ultimate fates and you know getting to see like jason Sindula and getting to see callus ending up on lirasan and then then just that Oh, just just the emotion of that last scene with, with, with Sabine, and then Ahsoka shows up, and then it's like the Force theme on full blast, and you know we get launched into into search for Ezra. Like it, it's it so pulls at your heartstrings. Yeah, it's I won't. We'll end it there. So I'm gonna tell it better myself. And we had a few questions regarding the epilogue. Mm -hmm. So with that said, let's jump right in. So All right. one of my favorite parts of our show is when I, we hear from you guys. And it is our we, rebel thoughts. When you guys send us either your questions or your general thoughts on anything Star Wars, especially that topics that we're discussing that week. And this week that like we've been doing for the past hour and 12 minutes, it's Rebels. So... For Rebel Thoughts, our first question comes from our friends from Three Men and a Baby Yoda podcast. And they ask, what is Ezra's and Thrawn's future looking like? So like you mentioned, we have at the end of Rebels, Ezra brings the Purgles, takes Thrawn, just like the Bendu told them, cold embrace, they go off to hyperspace. And we've been waiting. Hashtag where's Ezra, right? We've been mm -hmm. asking for years, where's Ezra? Not just where are they, but what do you think their future is looking like? They've been gone for years. Star Wars was, we don't know how many years by the time we find them. And it's going to come to one of our questions in a few minutes. What do you think they're, what's happening with the two of them? Are they bodies <laughs> now? I think they can be bodies. They're working together to stay alive or they've been fighting for the past four years. I think like, in terms of like 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 what do I what do I imagine like immediately happening like after that jump like I think I probably see a scenario where like there's a reluctant alliance but I, th I think they stay enemies I don't think it's like a Zeb Callus situation where like they become buds eventually like I think it like to the extent that they like stay together after that I think it's just like a permanent like antagonism I think they just remain enemies but I mean in terms of their fate. I mean, we've gotten a hint of that now in Mando season two in the Jedi, where like we've at least gotten this notion now that like Thrawn's got some sort of like fiefdom that he's set up. Like he's back in business to some degree. We don't really know like what he's up to. Um, but it looks like I would guess by by the time of Mandalorian, I would guess like they've gone their own separate ways. Thrawn has I would again just like from the crumbs that we have and get like my guess would be like he's had he has some sort of remnant or like some sort of organization that he's now like running like maybe he's trying to rebuild the empire in some like rump form and then in terms of ezra like i don't know i i think he's out there and i think like i i, I think probably the ahsoka episode sorry the, the ahsoka show like 
I think it'll probably be a search for Ezra show. It's really hard. Like, if if we got Ahsoka there and we got Thrawn teased, like he's he's that missing piece. Like it's it's gonna be hanging over the show. Like where's Ezra? Yeah, it's I don't know. I don't know where the hell they are, what they're doing, mm -hmm. but it's interesting because they're out there. We know that the general consensus they have somewhere in the unknown regions, and we yeah. know that where the cheese fleet is is. By some, are they with the ascendancy? The Purgle story came all the way there, and Thrawn is taking over, like you said. And with Mando season two, we still know that Thrawn is out there. He is he amassing this fleet? Does he have the seventh fleet with him? Because in one of the episodes, when they call for backup, oh, bring the fleet, or we're meeting mm -hmm. up with the fleet. It's that Thrawn. We know the magistrate is working for Thrawn, so yeah. or at least knows him. I think they have to be working, maybe not right now when we see them, when we get to find Ezra again, but they have to have worked together at some point, I wish. Um, Thrawn, I don't think they're bodies, like you said, yeah. but Thrawn, it's the master tactician, right? Mm -hmm. If Ezra, if this Jedi can help me in this conflict or in this situation that I currently I, yeah, I, I'm on, he's going to take advantage of it. Yeah. Ezra has grown, but he's still very emotional the way he reacts mm -hmm. so i think throne can take advantage of that and just work together but once he's okay i don't need you anymore yeah hey he, they're not gonna be bodies like you said but it's yeah. gonna be very interesting and this has to be the ahsoka show mm -hmm. and a lot of people were hope a lot of fans were hoping for the rebel sequel to be an animated show looking for ezra but once we got S um, Ahsoka on live action, at least for me, I said, this is going to be it. If we get Ahsoka yeah. live action, they're just going to keep going. They're not going to, nothing against animation. We both love animated yeah. Star Wars, yeah. but for the masses, live action is more appealing. So if you introduce Ahsoka in live action, it's not just going to be for one episode. Okay, now she's back in animation. They're just going to go 100% with her. Mm -hmm. And now with the announcement, the Ahsoka show, it has to be that search for throne, obviously, and then the search for Ezra. I will get to a minute with our next question of our friend. You mentioned her before. You did an episode with her of Star Wars Rebel, McDowell, and she asked. She's got like five questions here, so we gotta take our time. <laughs> so Meg, you gotta love her. She says, "Why did Bendu appear in season three, episode fifteen, Trials of the Dark Saber? Why was he there? What's your favorite chopper moment?" Loth cats or loth wolves? You can only have one. I want both. Uh, did the epilogue take place before or after the Mandalorian season two? Where's our boy Ezra? So a lot of questions. We'll try to get to most of them. If I think I wrote them down there, at least parts of them. So let's start right there. Bendu. So I watched this this morning because I didn't remember. So during Trials of the Dark Saber, which we already talked about that great episode. Ezra and Sabine are their training. Kanan comes in, tells her, is this a joke? Because she's using some Mandalorian weapons. Is this a joke to you? You're going to get killed. She storms off. Basically, you're a very bad teacher. Ezra has to be extremely talented to, deal, to be as good as he is because you suck as a teacher, basically. And she storms off. Mm -hmm. Ezra goes to confront her, to con um, to help her out, and then she kind of reveals, like you mentioned, her struggles with the dark saber and her past. And after that conversation, when they walk away, the Bendu turns around because she was kneeling or resting, using mm -hmm. him as a rest. And then the Bendu shows up for three seconds, kind of, oh, okay, that happened, and we don't see him again. So I don't know. 
I don't know why the vendor was there, but do you have any any reasoning why your boy the yeah. vendor was there? Amy, um, Megan, I actually speculated this on the episode that she and I did together. Um, and like, uh, I'll, I'll give like the short version of like what I said on that one, uh, which is that like, I think he is. I like I was. This was something that I was like puzzled about for a long time. Also, like, like what's the deal with his cameo? Um, and I think like my, like the thing I ultimately reached was that like, if you think back to like the season opener and like the back and forth he has with Kanan in terms of helping him like get his sight back and like restore his connection to the force. Like a big theme of that is like the, the Bendu helping Kanan realize that like the reason he can't see is like, not because like he's lost his eyesight, but the reason is because he's like, he's cut himself off. He's like, he's feeling all this guilt about like what happened on Malachor with Ahsoka and everything. And that he has all of this fear inside of him about like himself and Ezra and such. And then once he kind of overcomes that, like he's able to regain his sight. And so similarly, what we see with Sabine is that like, going back to what I talked about before with Charles of the Dark Saber, like her struggles like internal and like once she kind of overcomes that, she's able to like master the sword. So I think like, the Bendu there is, I think, is like a kind of a symbol where it's like what Kanan ultimately does in terms of getting her to open up is like he's basically doing what the Bendu did for him. And he's kind of like passing along that lesson that the Bendu gave him, which is that like, like figure out what's going like, like figure out like what's the blockage inside and then like overcome, like work to overcome that. And then you're going to get to the thing you want. Okay. I think it was just sleeping and they woke up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll take it. this man about? He's just says, "Really, kids? Let me sleep." Like this old, old person, old granddad in his house. Kids, get out of my yard. That was what. Oh, the bender. I just, I don't know. I do understand because I was waiting for it, and I thought maybe it is there's something when Canaan was there. It's still that blockage that Canaan is mm -hmm. having. So I do understand what you're saying. Again, with him not interacting with Sabina with Ezra, it's kind of. Uh, maybe I'll still go. He was trying to just take a rest because he knew a big battle was coming. All right. So favorite chopper moment. Mm -hmm. So chopper, love him or hate him. He's a lot of people hate chopper, not fans, but in Star Wars Rebels, because mm -hmm. he doesn't care about anyone, just Hera, basically. He'll throw you under the bus, he'll show a hologram of you of Ezra shooting Kanan and, and Rex. Yeah, you try to kill them. He throws and one of my favorite, he pushes that other droid out the airlock that they just saved. Hey, get out of here. There's only space for one droid in this ship. And then, of course, you can't forget, because we make fun of Chopper and how evil he is, basically. But he's the one there that com comforts Hera when Kanan mm. died, holding her hand. And she uh, reciprocated by holding. Again, it's a droid. We just, yeah, droid yeah. machine. They don't have any emotions. Well, he's the one that's been with Ezra, with Hera the longest, and he's there for her in that in that very important moment. So I'll go with that, pushing that other droid out of the airlock, but at the same time, knowing where when his friends need help, that he's there and just to be that emotional support droid. Yeah, um, that is. You, you mentioned what is also my favorite chopper moment. It's 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 him yeeting the uh, the, the astromech droid out of the ghost. I love that. It's so funny. I, every time I just laugh. It's so great. And like the expression on Ezra and Zeb's face when they when he does that. It's it's great. Yeah. All right. So Lothwolf, 
or Lot Cats. So Lot Cats, we see them in Rebels. They got uh, in two episodes, I think, of Mandalorian. They show up at least in one in season one. And then Lot Wolves were introduced at the end of, I mean, at the beginning of season four after Kanan passed with Doom and all that stuff. So I got to go with Wolves. Lot Wolves are just cool. They can, I don't know if they travel through hyperspace, but they got through that weird tunnel in the mountains to get to the other other side of Lothal. So I'll go with Lot, Lot Wolves because they're kind of weird the way they can not use the force. There's something going with uh, with those wolves. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right about that. They, they are definitely in that like weird force category, both just like the wolves themselves being able to travel and then what we get with Doom um, in, in that episode. Being a died in the wolf cat person, though, I'm going to go wolf cat. You'll go. I, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I got to go with those guys. Yep. They, 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 they may not have force abilities, but they're cuddly, they're cute. And they can, yeah, they can destroy a couple of droids if they come looking for you. Yes. Yeah, I'm not too much. I know I say I'm not a cat person. I like all animals, but those love cats. They're they're pretty cool. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I wouldn't mind. I know Meg said only pick one. I'll do wolves, but if I can find one, mm -hmm. if they get too vicious, I'll go with love cats. And then she also has the epilogue of Star Wars Rebel. Does it happen before or after season two of of her episode in The Mandalorian? I think that. It, the epilogue happens after the Mandalorian. Um, she's trying to find out where Thrawn is, and once she knows where Thrawn is, hopefully with Ezra, that's when she goes pick up Sabine and then go off. So that's my thought. At first, I, I thought it was after, just because we're mm -hmm. used to, we just watched Rebels, so now Mandalorian has to be after. But we see her with the great co coat that we mm -hmm. saw her at the end of season seven. She has shorter later i know people made a big deal because in rebels that were longer here they're shorter i don't think that has anything to do with it. i think they feel only said it just works better for live action for them to be shorter but i think mando happens first then the epilogue she picks up sabine hey i know we're thrown is let's go find Ezra. so what do you think epilogue happens before or after mando yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think I think Mando happens before the epilogue. I mean, like when I first saw the episode, my just gut assumption was like it happens after because it's just thinking chronologically. And then like Dave Filoni came out and I'm like, eh, I don't know where it is. Like, and then I'm like, okay. Um, and then just like the more that I thought about it, like for a lot of those reasons, like the fact that she's on her own, that she's like just there, and that she's like. She's getting this intel from the magistrate about like where's Thrawn. Like that started getting me to thinking like okay, like th like maybe this is still her in her like post Malakor kind of exile, like whatever she's doing there. And then she ends up linking back up with Sabine on the fall, and then we go off to search for Ezra. So yeah, I'm thinking the I'm thinking the epilogue happens after. All right, we'll see. I don't. Mm -hmm. when, there's. We don't know when the Ahsoka series is coming out, right? No, I don't think. No, there's not been a date announced. Man, so at least another year till we know where Ezra is. Probably more. All right. So now we go to our friends, 60 minutes. They were here last, not last week, because I was off the week before. I had Andres Alvarez from 60 minutes doing our review of Into the Dark. A great cut, a great novel. You guys gotta watch that. All right. So he asked, 60 at 60 minutes. Hashtag Rebel Thoughts. When Thrawn went to Coruscant to defend the TIE Defender project, 
Do you think he spoke with Krennic at all about Project Stardust? Also, Tron-related, what is one piece of Star Wars art you think he wishes he owned? So very, very deep questions, because we got to just imagine what happened. So let's start with that, with the first one. Do you think Thrawn and Krennic had a conversation about Project Stardust and the Death Star? Oh, it's a good question. Um, because, like, the first Thrawn novel ends with Thrawn basically asking Palpatine about the Death Star. Yeah. Uh, I probably should have put a spoiler on that. <laughs> Sorry uh, if anyone's reading the Thrawn novel. <laughs> Dude, this like, this is like the fifth the fifth throne book is coming next month. If people are still on the first one, I'm sorry, um, really sorry. Just blame yeah. David, but it's been a while. Yeah. Um. So and like, just in terms of what happens there, like it would it seems like the events of season three of Rebels would happen like almost immediately thereafter. Because when we meet him, he says like he just got promoted to Grand Admiral. Yeah. So like it might be a case where he's like on Coruscant and then just immediately like he hops off and like he's on the Rebels timeline. Um, did the two have a conversation? I, I don't think so. Probably. I think I think it. I, I'm I'm just feeling like in terms of how I imagine how Palpatine operates and such. Like I think it was probably like a one-on-one -on -one thing. It's like you talk to one and then like you talk to the other and it's a kind of like prisoner's dilemma situation. Like nobody knows what the other person said or like, like, like what's going to happen. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're, I think they're probably on their own like separate tracks. Yeah. I don't think they talk. I think Thrawn would have gone to, to Tarkin because he, mm -hmm. is too low on the totem pole for, for Thrawn to be, Hey, I got this project. I'm trying to have some tiny defenders. What, what are you working on? I don't think they had a conversation, even though Krennic is the lead on Project Stardust until Tarkin says, okay, thank you for your work. Thank you for your dedication. Yeah. I'm taking all the credit, as bosses do. I think he was gone to, he knew something must be. Krennic, he can be in charge of something this important. Let me find Tarkin, which I've already dealt with, and see what's going on. So I don't think they had a conversation about that. But it'll be interesting. I love Krennic. I hope we can get more with Krennic in the, I don't know if he might show up in the Andor series, but it'll be cool because I love Catalyst. That novel Catalyst oh, is one of my favorites. Favorite. Yeah, James Lucino, I got to give it up. Mm -hmm. And then second question, also Thrawn related, what is one piece of Star Wars art do you think he wishes he owned? And I don't know if this is just in the Star Wars universe or just any Star Wars art that might be out there. Um... It was a difficult one because every most of the art in Star Wars that we know it's from Rebels, mm -hmm. basically because of Sabine. Uh, but I'll do one. Have you read Into the Dark? Or no? I have not. No. All right. So, little spoiler. It won't okay. be. Clear. All right. There's some idols. Like mm -hmm. this, they go to this station where everything, most of the book takes place. There's these idols that, not to spoil it for you, anyone else watching. They have to do with the force. I'll just leave it there. They're very important in what's happening in that station. So I think that's so a piece of art, these idols that represent different species and different things in the world of Star Wars. I think that's something that Thrawn would want to study and to at least have one, because there's like three or four of those idols. I think he would, would want one of those. So what type of Star Wars art do you think he, he might want to own? Um, my answer, like the first thing that popped to mind is like sort of in, in the same vein as yours. Like I, I, I thought about those, like 
the like Sith statues that like like Palpatine has in his office, and then of course we get like the really big ones like on Exegol. Like I would think he'd probably want like one of those statues. Like I, th I think he'd be intrigued in terms of like the history of the Sith and the dark side and all of that. Like I think he'd want one of those statues. Yeah, I think he needs to go to go visit Dryden Voss spaceship, <laughs> his little yacht, and just take every just have a. <laughs> With a little shopping cart, I want this, I want that. Mandalorian armor, give me all that. Holocron, yes, we'll just have a, a blast just raiding that place. So, thank you, 60 minutes, for that great question. All right, two more. I told you this got some great questions today. So, here we go. I just mentioned that a little bit ago in a galaxy pod. They asked, and that's not it, that's 60 minutes in a galaxy with their new logo, Star Wars in a galaxy. They asked, hashtag rebel thoughts. You can replace an extra season in this show. Sorry, you can place an extra season on the show. Not a follow-up. I know this is a difficult. I'm gonna cheat. It's a good one. <laughs> but a literal extra season between seasons. Where do you put it? Between season one and two, two and three, three and four, before one, not after four for obvious reasons. And actually, I'm not gonna cheat because he just said it before one. Uh, you wanna go first, or you need to think about it? Um, you go first. I gotta All think right. about this one. So I had to th think about it because I, I didn't know. But then I saw before one, I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to go the easy route and say I would place a prologue, something before season one, seeing how the ghost crew came together. Uh, we know there's that novel out there that I haven't read and the, the uh, Canaan comic and then that novel that shows how him and Hera met. Love to see, to see a live action or a animated of drunk, Canaan, from what I've heard <laughs> in that book, how they met Sabine with all her baggage, basically. Of course, Chopper story with Harris. Very, it's very good how he saved her or that crash Y Wing. And then, of course, bringing Sep into the group. So I think a prologue, give me a couple of episodes of the ghost group coming together before kind of finding out about Ezra. I said, mm -hmm. hey, there's this kid out there in Lothal. Maybe we, we should go check him out. So something right before season one, just that little nugget there. I, something that interests me because I, I, I can't figure the other ones. So good luck. So tell me what would you put? Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to have to go with that also. I think the prologue, because I just feel like when I think back about the, the show, like the show is so tight in terms of like, even though there are little time jumps, I think particularly between like two and three, there's maybe like, there's some point where they do like almost like a year jump yeah. or maybe it's between two and three, but like, even with that, it's not like, it's not like I get to season three and be like, well, well like what happened? Like, it, 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 like the, the story flows so well that like, you know, like if we can't go forward in terms of post season four, like then the other big thing that I would want to know is like, how did this crew get together? Because like we get to see in a new dawn, which is the book that you referenced, like we get to see how Kanan and Hera met and like, and got together and started working with them. But then it's like, yeah, how do they pick up the other members of the crew? Um, and yeah, I would like to see that story. Um, particularly, I'm really interested in Sabine's story. Like, I want to know about that period, like post her service in the Empire, because we get we get a little bit of it when we meet Ketsu on the show, like her her bounty hunting partner. But I want to see like what is that period of her kind of on her own before she ends up on the ghost. Yeah. Uh, but even with the others, even with like, like what's Zeb up to after the destruction of, of what he thinks is like the eradication of the world? What's he doing all that? Yeah. I'd love those stories. Of course, between season two and three, we need to figure out what her stylist, 
um, Ezra goes to because he got his haircut. I think Sabine gets a new hair color. So mm -hmm. we got to find out those good hairstylists in Lothal. So, uh, but yeah, it has to be. There's, it's difficult. It's very difficult to put something in between those seasons for the same reasons you gave. All right. So our final question comes from Yet, and I'm not making fun. It's the name of the podcast, Yet Another Star Wars Podcast, because we are all just another Star Wars podcast. And they ask, is Hera the most emotionally intelligent Star Wars character ever? Hashtag Rebel Thoughts. I'm telling you guys, thanks to all of you for sending your questions. It's not that basic. Yeah, it's not that basic. Oh, what's the best episode? Is Kanan better than Ezra in lightsabers? Very deep questions. And for you guys out there that might not know exactly what emo emotional intelligence is, being a manager for, since I, I left my, I changed jobs in November, September, but before that I was a manager for 10 years. In emotional intelligence, it's something that's coming up a lot because we're used to just work, 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 keep your emotions out of this. We're working, we don't need to care. But emotional intelligence is very important if you want, I'm just talking about work, but in life in general, just to know how to deal with certain situations. So basically it's emotional intelligence, otherwise known as emotional coaching, is the ability to understand, use and manage your own emotions in positive ways to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathize with others, overcome challenges and diffuse conflicts. And if you go with that definition, it's very difficult to say that Hera is not either the most or up there as the most emotionally intelligent or at least emotionally connected characters in Star Wars. She doesn't let her emotions take over, but she knows how to use them and how to empathize with others. Like we just mentioned, Charles or the Dark Saber, where Kanan can get through to Sabine. Is Hera comes, okay, you gotta take all these other things into consideration. Even the death of Kanan did hit her hard, but she tried her best to use her emotion, but at the same time knowing that if she just falls, falls, which happened in about an episode or two that she was just, I can't deal with this. The whole team comes that goes down. She was able to come back and know I have to not show a brave face, brave, brave face and hold my emotions back, but I need to be there for my, my team. So I will go ahead and say yes for everything that we've learned. We know Luke just goes off and he thinks that his friends are in danger. Ray is very similar. Um, Han Solo, come on, he doesn't deal with his emotions well. So I would say yes. So you think Hera is the most emotionally intelligent character in Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, as you were just alluding to there, the bar for emotional intelligence in Star Wars is yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And again, this is the franchise that gives oh. us Anakin Skywalker. Is there a bar? I don't think there's a bar for <laughs> Like, no, it's like, so, I mean, like, compared to that, it's like, um, but like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I do, I do I, like, I would say so because... I mean, you, you cited all those examples of, like, I'm particularly thinking about her and, like, Trials of the Dark Saber and the way that she, like, intervenes and tries to get Kane and understand, like, think about, like, every, like, think about all her trust issues and everything that it took for her to, to like, open up to us and to be able to join us. Um, and then, like, even earlier on when there were those moments in season one where, like, Sabine is like, I want to know more about, like, what you guys are up to. I don't want to just, like, blindly follow orders. And Harris is like, look, like, there's stuff I can't tell you because, like, it's for the safety of the whole crew. Like, we have to compartmentalize information. Um, or even, like, um, 
there's, I, I think it's, I don't remember exactly where it is. Um, it's like with the Zeb, maybe it's like after they get the like ion disruptors early on in season one and he's like in a bad mood and like Ezra's really annoyed at Zeb and she comes in and she's like, cut him some slack. Like he, he's dealing with some stuff. So like she's really good in, in terms of like managing the dynamics of like everybody on the ghost and like making sure that everyone is sort of like looked over, look, look after in terms of their own like, like health and well-being and such and then even like like you were mentioning like after Kanan dies she like she she takes that moment in terms of just to like to grieve for herself and to just like go through that process and like because we get to see like for example like when when they come back after that like Zeb and Sabine like they immediately want to punch back like they immediately want to just like fire with fire Hera takes that moment where she's like, I'm just gonna like take a moment for myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel the grief, I'm gonna feel the sadness, and then after that, like approach it more clear-headed. Um so I would say, yeah, I think I think she probably is the most emotionally intelligent yeah. Star character. I think the all, other one, and it's like you said, the bar, there's no bar <laughs> today. But if you want to do mental gymnastic, which is a phrase I don't like, but some people have used it when complaining when Obi-Wan doesn't tell Luke in A New Hope that Darth Vader is his father, and then all from a certain point of view. And then it's it's because Luke at that point couldn't hear that Darth Vader was his dad because yeah. uh, you, we know what's going to happen. So you can say at that point, Obi-Wan did a little bit of, okay, I can't, I got to be careful with this kid. I don't want him to go to the, down the path that his father went, so I'm not going to reveal this yet. Yeah, and I think that's the only one. But yeah, Hera, no contest. So thank you to yet another Star Wars podcast for the great question, and to everyone out there, those great questions this week. Great questions. All right, so I think that brings an end to our show. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, great talking uh, Star Wars Rebels. Great talking with you about it. Uh, so let our listeners, our fans watching, where can they find you? When is your next episode of your podcast coming? All that great stuff. Sure. So um, you can find a larger view of the force pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, and like any of those platforms. Um, you can also find the show on Twitter. Um, it's at a larger view pod. Um, the next episode comes out. It will be next Sunday, which is what is that? April 6th or no, 4th, 4th, April 4th. Um, and that's actually going to be a fun one. We're going to, uh, I'm going to be doing a, um, like a franchise crossover episode. And we're going to be talking about um, Avatar, the last airbender and the legend of Korra. And so we'll talk a little bit about like those shows and like how they intersect in terms of like themes and like storytelling things from star Wars get kind of incorporated in those shows. So, yeah. All right, so make sure you guys should listen to that one. Subscribe to his channel. I mean, to his Twitter podcast. Great conversations over there. So again, thanks for being here. Great talking with you. Thanks, Kat, as you're saying. Awesome show. Awesome guest. And awesome show. Awesome yeah, series. Star Wars Rebels, guys. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. And so for me, again, thanks to everyone that has subscribed to the channels, just taking us over that 100 subscribers. Thanks for everyone that has followed us on Twitter. We got to 666 followers this afternoon. Is that good or bad? We'll see what happens. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Radio Rebel Pod. Um, new episodes every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern. But like I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be off next Saturday, the 3rd. 
because it's my wife's birthday. I can't forget that date. That's why I knew that Sunday was the fourth. But then we'll be back a week after that. And then our audio podcast for this episode and all our episodes are released on Mondays around 11 in the morning. So leave us a comment, subscribe, like, all the stuff young kids say that you have to do on YouTube. Thank you for being here again. Thanks, you guys, for watching and listening later. Stay safe. Be safe. And may the force be with you. Radio Rebellion.